Hey, it's Cher Ross. Hey everyone, this is Britt Lightning from, from Vixen. Vixen. And you're listening to Play That Rock and Roll with Joe K. And you're gonna keep listening because he plays awesome rock and roll! Keep rocking with Joe K. This is not a test. This is Play That Rock and Roll Podcast Edition. I'm your host, Joseph K., and like the song at the start says, just call me Joe. Now, I'm posting this video 11 years to the month from the launch of Aerosmith's 2009 tour, which is one of the most infamously disastrous tours in all of rock history. And as someone who attended one of the very few shows on that tour, today I'm going to take you on a journey through that tour and talk about each and every little thing that went wrong from start to finish, including the one big thing that really went wrong that some of you already might be aware of. And we're also going to talk about the aftermath of this tour, which some of you may not realize brought the band about this close to breaking up. So let's take a look back at Aerosmith's disastrous 2009 tour in the aftermath that brought the band to the brink of a breakup. So there's two major themes that surround this tour. The first is video games. Specifically, the game Guitar Hero Aerosmith. Ladies and gentlemen, the world-famous Aerosmith. There's never been a band like them. There's never been a game like this. Guitar Hero Aerosmith. Unleash your inner rock star the Aerosmith way. Now, for those who are around my age, you probably remember Guitar Hero being a big freaking deal. 2007, 2008, that stretch was like Guitar Hero's golden era. And when I was in college, I recall almost every house party I went to, somewhere, Guitar Hero or Rock Band was set up and people would cycle in and out of that room to, to play a few songs. Some people were crazy good, some people like me were just absolutely awful and couldn't even handle Slow Ride by Foghat. <laughs> um, but in 2009, that game series was sort of reaching its peak. What they did in 2008 was they released a game that was centered around Aerosmith. The plot of the game is that you're basically Aerosmith on tour, so you Instead of having just sort of a random assortment of uh, rock tracks to play, you're mostly playing Aerosmith songs. At the time, this was a huge hit. It sold over 3.5 million copies, and according to Joe Perry in his book, Rocks, My Life in and Out of Aerosmith, 
He says it wound up selling more than any other music game ever. <laughs> now, to which I say, uh, citation needed, my dude. But, you know what? I don't know that he's wrong, so I shouldn't uh, throw stones. It very well could be, because it was a crazy popular game. Hey everyone, by now you all know about Guitar Hero Aerosmith. We hope you have as much fun playing it as we did making it. And the band loved that the game was exposing their music to uh, a younger crowd who became newer fans. The other major theme we're going to talk about sort of again and again today is health conditions. Specifically health conditions of the guys in Aerosmith. So briefly, let's talk about some what I call pre-existing conditions. Basically, some of the guys in Aerosmith were going into the 2009 tour with some health concerns right off the bat. For starters, guitarist Joe Perry had knee replacement surgery in March of 2008. In his book, he says that this did not heal correctly, and he had to have corrective surgery in late 2008 and had to continue to rehab it into 2009. So the 09 tour was supposed to launch in June. He had healed by that point, but he was only just coming off what was a very long-running injury. I knew I was going to have to get the knee replaced at some point or other. Uh, it just kept wearing down, and uh, it's back, and it works better than ever. In early 2009, vocalist Steven Tyler uh, had suffered a bout of pneumonia. And because of that, he was unable to make it to the studio to record what was supposed to be Aerosmith's new album that year. And because he wasn't available, they weren't able to finish the record, which meant they wouldn't have a new album for the tour. Every time we, we uh, set out to, to finish it, it something, something goes wrong, whether it's my knee or whether it's... Uh, uh, Steven getting sick or whatever. And thirdly, guitarist Brad Whitford would have to miss the first seven dates of the tour so he could recover from head surgery, of all things. This surgery was needed because he injured his head while getting out of his car, which caused internal bleeding. Basically, he bashed his head against his car somehow, and it was a really scary injury. So the recover period for this would unfortunately affect his availability for the start of the tour. A guitarist named Bobby Schneck would fill in for him. Now I will say, take note of him having to miss the first seven dates. Put a pin in that, because that will come into play a little bit later. So without a new record to sell in 2009, Aerosmith decided to lean into the success guitar hero Aerosmith was having and they decided to build a tour and show around Guitar Hero Aerosmith, starting with the name, which to this date is probably the worst name for a tour I've ever come across in all the years I've been seeing shows. The name of this tour was Guitar Hero Aerosmith Presents Aerosmith Tour. That is so dumb and so cynical and corporate that it's brilliant. 
<laughs> in hindsight, a, a, a name for a tour has never stuck with me as much as this one has. All for the wrong reasons, of course, but it is, it is profoundly dumb. Guitar Hero Aerosmith presents Aerosmith. Uh, on Wikipedia, it's listed as Aerosmith slash ZZ Top 2009 Tour. There was no mention of that anywhere. I remember when this was announced. It was Guitar Hero Aerosmith Presents Aerosmith Tour. And you can find all sorts of posters from back then that, that show it as well. And uh, So I don't know what this revisionism is. And I guess I sort of buried the lead here. One of the big deals about this tour is that they booked ZZ Top to be an opening act. Now, for me, again, when this tour was announced, when I saw it was going to be ZZ Top opening, I was in. Sold. Yes, I want to see this show. I hadn't seen either band at that point, uh, and I bought tickets as, as soon as I went, they went on sale. Now, they weren't just going to name the tour for the video game. They wanted to figure out some ways to incorporate the game into the show as well, which, on paper, is a good idea. Execution, though, that's another subject. One of the ideas is that before their opener, ZZ Top, would play, they would have two fans come on stage and do a Guitar Hero Aerosmith duel um, for the crowd. I just wanted to welcome two Guitar Heroes to the stage who won Aerosmith's opening act contest. They're going to battle it out right here for total guitar dominance, Aerosmith style. Let's hope they're ready. I'm going out to watch. So I want to hear lots of noise. Make a lot of noise for them, because they're coming out right now, and they are ready to rock. I'm not going to miss this one for the world. Walk this way. Basically, two fans would come on stage, they would both play Ragdoll, and one would win something, and I don't even know how fans got to do this sort of thing. I imagine it was through their fan club. So here's a video of the fans in Mansfield, Massachusetts playing the game, and I think this is what you would call a best-case scenario. Okay, so you see in that clip, like, both fans are, like, fairly energetic. They're both dancing. They're playing it as well as they can. And I bet for the first five rows in the venue, they probably had some fun watching them. Everyone else, though, I don't know how they would get any enjoyment out of that. And also, these two in Mansfield, like I said, it was sort of a best-case scenario. I've looked through a couple of these videos of, of kids playing Guitar Hero Aerosmith on stage, and these two were sort of the outliers. They were the exceptions to the rule. Generally speaking, most of these Guitar Hero duels really looked like this. Yeah, feel the excitement. Look at that raw rock and roll. That video was from the show I attended. 
and I don't think anyone, first five rows or otherwise, would have enjoyed watching that for any amount of time. It's posted as the show I went to. To be honest, I have no recollection of them doing this. I'm sure I was in the venue when it happened, because I went in pretty early, but I certainly didn't notice this going on at the time. In any case, again, this is something that was probably fun on paper and maybe good for their fan club, but as far as it being a part of the show itself, not really a great idea. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Now, the other idea they had to tie in to Guitar Hero Aerosmith is that on one song, Joe Perry would jam uh, along to the video game version of Joe Perry on the big screen. So he would play a couple of notes, and then the video board would cut to, like, the video game version of him playing uh, something, then he would play, and it would go back and forth like that. That one's a little more fun, and I guess it played pretty well, because they kept this shtick as part of their show uh, for at least one year, and maybe even a couple of years after the 2009 tour. Now, what you got to remember about the concert industry of 2009 is that as a whole it was in trouble. This is still in the immediate aftermath of the economic collapse in 2007-2008. Most people did not have a lot of disposable income and because of that the concert industry was suffering. Some bands dealt with this by lowering prices and other bands would try to amp up their show a little bit or make some changes, do whatever they could to entice people to, you know, spend what 
little extra money they had. So one of the hooks that Aerosmith had planned for this tour that was different than their previous tours is that for the first time they were going to play an album all the way through as part of the set list. They were going to perform their 1975 album Toys in the Attic in its entirety. Now that's widely considered to be one of their best albums and frankly a, a good pick for a live show. And we've talked about doing uh, a whole album from front to back um, so we may do that. We may choose a couple of records and, and actually play a record from if you were to put it on at the beginning and listen to it all the way through. We may do that. Um, it's something we've talked about doing for a long time. Now playing an album all the way through in concert is really nothing new now but I remember again in 2008-2009 a lot of bands were starting to do this kind of thing. This was actually the hook a lot of bands used to get longtime fans uh, to come see them because it wasn't going to be just the typical greatest hits set list. And Aerosmith's plan for the 2009 tour is pretty ingenious when you look back on it because they booked ZZ Top for, I'd say, casual classic rock fans. Two bands with a lot of hits for the price of one? That sounds like a great night out. Okay, let's do that. And then you have the Guitar Hero Factor, which is the appeal for younger and newer fans. And then you have this Toys in the Attic aspect, which is an appeal to longtime fans who've seen them before. Now they're doing something a little different to bring those longtime fans back. So really, uh, I gotta hand it to them. That, these, these are smart moves to get people to come out to see them in 2009. And like I said, uh, I didn't have a lot of money in 2009, but I absolutely wanted to see this show. So like I said, all of this is actually really good on paper, but execution is where it counts. So let's take a look at how said execution played out. So the tour launched at the Verizon Wireless Amphitheater in Maryland Heights, Missouri on June 10th, 2009. And right off the bat, the band got a bad omen when there was a delay to the show due to a tornado warning. When they finally came on stage, the delay had forced them to cut two songs from the set. Now, the next day, Joe Perry went on Twitter and vented his frustrations about having to make those cuts, tweeting, As far as mentioned song cuts, Aerosmith is a democracy. I don't final have say in that. It was opening night, every show will get better. And then later, I am surprised it was good as it was. So two things. One, thankfully for my purposes, Joe Perry was tweeting a lot in 2009. And I went through his whole feed from that era, and we're going to be seeing his thoughts as they play out here. Two, bizarre that he says it was opening night, every show will get better, and that I'm surprised it was good as it was. That to me sort of reads like opening night is more of a practice run. So if maybe I'm reading too deep into it, but you know, keep that in mind. If Aerosmith announces a tour, don't go to opening night. Luckily for me, I didn't attend opening night. I attended the second night, which was at Alpine Valley in East Troy, Wisconsin on July 13th. Now this is where I have to mention my biggest disappointment. ZZ Top did not appear at this show, and they didn't appear at the one before it, 
and they did not appear at the one after it because of scheduling or whatever. They were not going to be available for the first three shows of the tour. So instead of just playing a longer set, Aerosmith scrambled to get someone else to open instead. And this, of course, is my second big disappointment. The replacement for the first two nights, instead of ZZ Top, was Three Doors Down. Three Doors Down fucking blows. I'm sorry if there's fans watching, but seriously, I, I don't like that band at all. And my memory of when they were playing at the show I attended was that one, no one was paying attention. Most people weren't even in their seats. And those who were, the chatter and the ambient noise of people talking almost overpowered the band. It was like they weren't even there. I spaced out through most of it. I wasn't watching. I was frustrated that that's who they got to play instead of ZZ Top going to this show. And I had no interest in paying all that much attention to how they played while I was there. Thankfully, their set was fairly short, but it was a huge disappointment to, you know, months earlier see that ZZ Top was supposed to be the opener, and then not only not get them, but have to be subjected to, like, a fucking lame-ass band, like, three doors down instead. That, that blows. So, as Aerosmith arrived that night, Joe Perry went on Twitter and said, Looking forward to Alpine Valley. Watched vid of last show with John B. Got some ideas and mm, improvements I can't wait to try out. Uh, truth be told, I don't know what improvements he's referring to because as, as far as I can tell, the Alpine Valley show really wasn't any different than the night before or the nights after. Um, the only thing that Alpine Valley got that no other shows got was that Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick made a surprise appearance and joined them on the song Big Ten Inch Record. My memory of that is that Steven Tyler mumbled his way through introducing Rick Nielsen, so I didn't even know who was on stage with them until Rick was on the video board. And I heard people around me asking each other, who is that, who is that? And then, you know, someone, you know, who could tell right away uh, would say who it was. So it really wasn't until like halfway through the show that I put it together that it was Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick that was playing with them on a song at the time I wasn't familiar with. It is a good song, and uh, <laughs> but sort of lackluster because once I had an understanding of what was going on, the song was basically over. And I'm sure a lot of fans who were up on the lawn like I was didn't notice it at all. I remember that Joe Perry made some sort of snarky comment about Guitar Hero when they started playing, when he started doing that jam session thing. And I also remember him making some comment about how he was surprised that Steven Tyler could still hit the high note on Dream On. When I walked out of the show, I checked my phone, 
And my third big disappointment of that night was I realized they barely played an hour. When they... I don't know exactly how long it was, but it wasn't maybe an hour 15. But it was a very short show. I hadn't seen a whole lot of rock concerts um, by summer of 2009. But that show felt quite short in comparison to pretty much everything else I had seen. I was expecting at least an hour and a half, but I know they didn't play that. Now, the day after the show, Joe Perry goes on Twitter and says, Heard some rumors Brad may be returning to the tour early mid-July. Put a pin in that, because that was correct. <laughs> but, but it was correct in a way I don't think he was expecting it to be. Now, the third show was at the Comcast Center in Mansfield, Massachusetts on June 16th. They also did not get ZZ Top as an opener, but they didn't get Three Doors Down either. Instead, they got Dropkick Murphys, which, of course, makes me even angrier about getting Three Doors Down at my show. Like, you can't get ZZ Top for the first couple of shows? Okay, shit happens, I get it. But why would you give one city a way better opening act than the other two? <laughs> Very frustrating. So, of the few shows that actually went according to plan on this tour, I feel that the first two shows, including mine, were um, among the worst. Now, the next four shows actually went pretty smoothly. ZZ Top finally joined them. Didn't seem to be any trouble. Emphasis on the word scene. The fourth show with ZZ Top, which was the seventh show total, was at the Mohegan Sun Arena in Uncasville, Connecticut on June 28th. Now, they made it all the way through the show with no problem, but apparently, at some point during the night, Steven Tyler sustained a leg injury. And that leg injury was serious enough that they would have to postpone the next seven shows or about next two weeks worth of concerts. Now, this wasn't known right away as... Late that night, Joe Perry tweeted, Had some trouble with wireless early in the show, Mahegan Sun. Great crowd. Think they had a good time. Seemingly unaware of what was going on with Steven. But whatever this leg injury was, it meant that the band would miss the first two weeks of July. And again, that was seven shows that would have to be postponed. On July 1st, Joe Perry tweets, Missed Cincy in you guys. Hope we can reschedule. Apologies to all. Two days later, he tweets, Sincere apologies to all Arrow fans regarding the canceled shows. It really bums me out, too. You have no idea. Pray for Steven's speedy recovery. And also, I used the term canceled and not postponed. Sorry about that. We are hoping to reschedule as long as Steven is able. Now, on the surface and at the time... Seeing him mention Stephen in both of those tweets seems fairly innocuous and also accurate. Stephen was why they had to reschedule. But as we go on and you see the whole picture of his statements and tweets, you'll see that naming Stephen as the reason of why they were rescheduling was very intentional. 
we'll get to it more in a bit, but it was it's very much Joe pointing the finger of blame at Steven Tyler for the problems that this tour would face. On July 6th, Joe tweets, Brad is up and ready to rock as soon as Steven's leg muscle feels better. That is great. Day later, he tweets, I am doing great and feel well. Just waiting on a call from Tyler so Aerosmith can rock you guys out of the venues and back again. Again, right? Seems a little a little focused on naming Steven and, you know, making sure that fans realize that it is Steven Tyler who has caused the shows to be postponed. Not Brad, not Joe, not anyone else in the band. This will continue as the problems start to pile up. Now, the tour restarts on July 15th, 2009 in Atlanta. At this show, Steven Tyler and Brad Whitford return. Now, earlier, I mentioned you should put a pin in Brad Whitford's initial absence. He was scheduled to miss the first seven shows of the tour. It was the seventh show that Steven Tyler got hurt at. So the first show that Brad was supposed to return for was the first show that would have to be postponed because Steven Tyler got hurt. <laughs> so probably, so I guess the worst possible timing as far as Brad's concerned. But in any case, it gave him some extra time to heal up. Steven recovered. They were now both ready to go in mid-July. But there was a new problem. Now bassist Tom Hamilton had to depart the tour, and he had to leave to recover from an unspecified non-invasive surgery. I couldn't find out what that surgery was. There are some rumors it had to do with a cancer scare he had faced a couple of years prior, but I, I can't confirm that. Um, but whatever the case, he was going to be out for a couple of weeks. And his absence would start just as Steven Tyler and Brad Woodford would return. A guy named David Hull from Joe Perry's band uh, would fill in for Tom. So after that first show, Joe tweets, Crowd totally with us. Steven singing better than ever. Brad back. He played awesome. Only bummer. Tom not there. He's doing fine, though. Kind of. Show. Uh, I, I can't lie, I, I don't understand the last little bit of that tweet, but in any case, he seems to be expressing some um, happiness that both uh, Stephen and Brad are back, although he is bummed out that now Tom has to leave the road. So now for the next seven shows, the tour would go on as planned, and they played these shows quite successfully. ZZ Top opened, Aerosmith played all the way through, everything was good. Except... They must have decided that the Toys in the Addict aspect of the concert wasn't playing very well because they ditched that part of the show and reverted back to just doing basically a greatest hits show or whatever they felt like playing. I hate to say it, but I think that's a little bit of a, a slap in the face to longtime fans who had bought tickets to those shows hoping to hear one of their favorite albums played all the way through. But in any case, that's how they decided to go forward. One of the highlights in this stretch of dates that was going according to plan is that when they played in Las Vegas on July 25th, Slash from Guns N' Roses made an appearance and joined them on 
uh, a song called Mama Ken. And that's awesome because Guns N' Roses covers Mama Ken on one of their live albums. So to see Slash come out and join him on this song specifically, I think was a real treat for the Las Vegas audience. And I'm guessing that was probably the best show of the tour. And on July 28th, Joe Perry finally provided some info about when the postponed dates would be rescheduled when he tweeted, think some of the dates will be rescheduled late September. Wrong! <laughs> that would not happen. So the eighth show of this stretch, which was the 15th show total, was the Sturgis Biker Rally in South Dakota on August 5th. Oddly, ZZ Top did not appear that night, which is strange because bikers love ZZ Top. Yeah, I, I wonder why they didn't play that night. In any case, during the 10th song of the night, which was Love in an Elevator, Steven Tyler did some sort of dance move and he got the footwork just a little wrong, so he tripped and fell off the stage, which resulted in him suffering a broken shoulder and a massive cut to the head, which would eventually require 20 stitches. As soon as they could get to him, he was airlifted to a hospital, and the concert ended right then and there. The next day, he put out a statement that in part read, I was doing the Tyler Shuffle, and then I zigged when I should have zagged. And I slipped, and as I live on the edge, I fell off the edge. This statement would also include news that the rest of Aerosmith's 2009 tour was being canceled. Not postponed, canceled. And those dates that had been previously postponed, they would also be canceled. The 2009 tour was over. Now I think I've established that Joe Perry at the time was a frequent Twitter user, but he didn't even acknowledge this until August 15th, which was a week and a half after that show, when he said, I am so sorry about vocalist Steven Tyler having to cancel our Aerosmith shows. I can't say I'm sorry enough. You guys are great fans to have. And also, been looking at videos of Steven's fall because I did not see it with my own eyes that night. Can't believe he fell. Usually so agile. And also, I mean, he was swinging from a rope two tours ago. Now what he's referencing is that in 2006, part of their show was that Steven Tyler did some crazy acrobatics where he was like, like he says, swinging from a rope around during one of the songs. It was something out of a circus and something that requires at least a little bit of coordination and athleticism. And maybe on the surface this seems mildly complimentary or at least like genuinely confused. But in hindsight, knowing what we know now, this is pure passive aggression. He couldn't say it at the time, but Joe Perry was incredibly frustrated at Steven Tyler. And he was frustrated because what he knew at the time, and what he put in his book later, is that earlier that night, 
Steven Tyler had been snorting Lunesta, which is a sleeping aid. And to add to that, Steven Tyler had been abusing various sleeping aids and painkillers all year. So his head wasn't straight during the whole tour. And Joe and the rest of the band were painfully aware of that. So ending the tour was a tremendous sore point for the rest of the band for a number of reasons. First, in doing all this research, I think Joe Perry and the rest of the guys in the band, and maybe even Steven Tyler as well, genuinely felt that they had let down their fans and that was not something that they wanted to do. It also meant that they were losing out on a lot of money, which was perhaps an even more sore point because 2009, again, was in the aftermath of that recession. Not that any of them were ever really hurting for money, but, you know, it's not a non-factor. And finally, Joe Perry mentioned in his book that they had been working to get ZZ Top to tour with them for years. This was a lineup they really wanted to do, but the timing or whatever else didn't work out until now. So having this sort of dream ticket fall apart, in part because Steven Tyler was uh, abusing prescription meds, was profoundly frustrating for Joe and the rest of the guys. So when this ended, it wasn't like a, a big shrug, like, oh, well, what can we do? The band was on bad terms, and things got worse almost immediately. Move forward a little bit to September 2009, which is less than a month after Steven Tyler's fall. Steven Tyler flew to England to do some sort of audition for a potential Led Zeppelin tour in place of Robert Plant. Now we're sort of crossing streams with a different band's drama. In 2007, Led Zeppelin reunited for a one-off concert, which was a tribute show to the head of their record label, who had recently died. This, of course, had led to all sorts of speculation that Led Zeppelin was finally going to reunite and go on tour properly. Robert Plant insisted that it wasn't going to happen, and he refused to commit to doing that sort of tour. Now, the rest of the guys in Led Zeppelin, I guess, were a little frustrated by this, and at one point or another were open to trying out different lead singers to see if they could take that sort of thing on the road. I don't know how serious this was ever going to be, and I don't know that they actually were considering bringing Steven Tyler on in place of Robert Plant. But whatever the case, they did some sort of audition with him. According to Joe Perry's book, it itself was a disaster where Steven Tyler came in totally unprepared and didn't know the words and was singing poorly and needless to say it didn't go well. But in any case, he did this without telling the rest of the guys in Aerosmith. So this whole ordeal they if they found out after the fact, and on the surface, it looks like Steven Tyler's trying to ditch him for a bigger band. So this whole ordeal is quite insulting and very upsetting to Joe Perry and the rest of the guys in Aerosmith. On September 22nd, Joe tweets, I cannot stop being Joe Perry, the musician, because Steven Tyler wants to disappear or not write with me alone or isolate himself from the band. 
which is obviously voicing some frustration there. On September 24th, drummer Joey Kramer tweets, It's in the tough times of life that we find out what we're really made of. I don't know if he's referring to what was going on with the band. I'm just looking at the timeline and knowing that Aerosmith was going through this frustration with Steven Tyler right around this time. I'm thinking he could very well be referencing what Steven Tyler was doing. On September 27th, Joe Perry tweets, I don't diss anyone ever. I tell the truth, and I would never diss Steven. I am just disappointed we couldn't finish Arrow Tour for fan and crew. And then, I know how much everyone was counting, planning on the shows. The ticks were expensive, and when I see families that had plans ruined, it bothers me. This is going back to what I said earlier. I, I, I believe him. I believe he knows that fans make efforts to come see them, and there's probably a level of frustration and guilt that comes with having to cancel the show and ruin those plans for those fans. I'm glad he's acknowledging the tickets were expensive because as someone who bought one of the tickets, yeah, they were fucking expensive considering it was, again, in the aftermath of that recession. I paid 50 bucks for a lawn seat. That's expensive even today. And by the way, how the concert industry was handling that recession, you know, hopefully they learned some lessons from that because if we're lucky, we're about to be heading into something comparable in the next couple of years. Now, around this same time, Joe Perry decides if Aerosmith isn't going to work, then he's going to work instead. And according to his book, he goes back and he takes some of the demo tracks and the instrumental pieces he was working on for the what was supposed to be Aerosmith's 2009 album. He took that music and that basically became his solo album, which was called Have Guitar, Will Travel. Now this album featured a vocalist named, I'm going to butcher this, Hagen Grohl from Germany, uh, who Joe Perry found on YouTube. And I only mention that because that's right around the time Journey found Arnel Pineda on YouTube and Boston found Tommy DiCarlo on MySpace. It was sort of an interesting thing that was happening around that time. Uh, that music, again, all came from that planned Aerosmith album that had fallen apart because Steven Tyler, for various reasons, including pneumonia, but also including the uh, painkiller thing, was not showing up for. And Joe Perry's band, the Joe Perry Project, toured the U.S. in the fall of 2009, which was, again, during the dates that Aerosmith had to cancel. Now, Aerosmith would eventually reunite and play four dates in October and November 2009. Uh, again, going back to Joe's book, these were incredibly awkward shows because the band was on very bad terms with Steven Tyler at this point. In public, Joe was trying to put on a good face, and he was saying some complimentary things about Steven Tyler on his Twitter feed. But after several tweets in October celebrating Steven Tyler's return, Joe Perry tweeted on November 6th, Read online, Steven Tyler. Left band to do brand Tyler. That's all I know, but like I've said, hasn't called me in months. A bit cold, forget us four guys. And then, last time I phoned him, he hung up on me. Now this was in reaction to something that had gotten out to the news that Steven Tyler had wanted like a two-year break from the band so he could work on something called brand Tyler. Basically, he was feeling the itch to start a solo career. And I think because they weren't communicating, Steven's actual plans 
worth really getting through to Joe and the rest of the band. But I don't think he had any concrete idea of what those plans were supposed to be or uh, any interest in communicating those plans to Joe and the rest of the band. And in response to Joe's tweet, on November 10th, 2009, Steven Tyler made a surprise appearance at a Joe Perry Project concert in Manhattan. Comes up to Joe backstage and says, hey, I want to join you on the encore. Joe shrugs, says, okay, we're going to do Walk This Way, but you've got to um, basically do a duet with my singer. And Steven Tyler says, yeah, sure. And he comes on stage. And as soon as he gets on stage, he says he is not leaving Aerosmith. Hold on a minute, I gotta say something with my big mouth. I just want New York. New York, I want you to know I am not leaving Aerosmith. And Joe Perry, you are a man of many colors. But I, motherfucker, am the rainbow. Mr. Drummer Man. And if you watch the rest of the video, even though he agreed to do a duet with uh, Joe's vocalist, he sings over that guy the whole time. Totally rude, but also sort of funny. Very rock and roll. Now, despite this public display of unity, this did not last as speculation about Aerosmith breaking up was rampant all through late 2009 and into early 2010. On November 9th, the day before Steven had made this appearance, Joe had tweeted, In the meantime, Aerosmith is positively looking for a new lead singer to work with. You can't just take 40 years of experience and throw it in the bin. And apparently, they approached Billy Idol, Chris Cornell, Paul Rogers, and some other vocalists to see if they would be interested in putting something together. In an interview in January 2010, Joe Perry says, it would be great to find some fresh talent, but in all honesty, we need to find someone with a track record or we won't be able to get decent-sized venues. If we get someone like Chris Cornell, then we could do some of each other's material and put on a great show and go out for a respectable fee. Credit to him for being at least honest about it, that financial viability is a critical part of finding someone to take Steven's place. Now, according to some of the people they spoke to, they were declined. Lenny Kravitz, I guess, was one of the first people they talked to, and Lenny Kravitz jumped out and put a statement very quickly saying, As much as I am flattered that Aerosmith's camp would consider me to front the band, Steven Tyler is a family friend and no voice could ever take the place of his. I hope the band stays together. That was in 2009. That was before the year was even over. Otherwise, uh, a couple of years later, Sammy Hagar, who is no stranger to taking over for departed lead singers uh, made a comment in 2012 and he said, I was asked to be an Aerosmith and I said no. Certain bands and certain frontman singers are more difficult to replace than others. Steven Tyler and that band have stayed together for 40 years and you don't want to walk into something like that. I don't know what the deal with Chris Cornell or Billy Idol or Paul Rogers was, but in any case, this was all speculation, this was all tentative ideas, none of it ever came to happen. Aerosmith did not break up because another thing that happened in early 2010 is that Steven Tyler entered the Betty Ford Clinic to clean himself up and get rehab for his prescription painkiller addiction. 
Now, on a side note, Joe Perry would enter that same clinic just a year later. Um, but that's sort of beside the point. On February 25th, 2010, Joe tweeted, It's Aerosmith with all original members, Tom, Brad, Steven, Joey, and myself. Locked, cocked, and ready to rock. Locked, cocked, and ready to rock was going to be the name of their 2010 tour. And this marked the end of all of that speculation and drama about Aerosmith replacing Steven Tyler in the band. And the greater point being is that despite all of this drama from the summer of 2009 up until February of 2010, Aerosmith would resume touring later in 2010 and would continue to tour all through the rest of that decade. Which, of course, was a tremendous relief for Aerosmith fans who had no desire to see someone else on stage in place of Steven Tyler. But there is an addendum to this story. On August 17th, 2010, in Toronto, Steven Tyler fell from the stage again during Love in an Elevator. This happened almost exactly one year from the fall that ended the Guitar Hero Aerosmith Presents Aerosmith tour. But the circumstances here are a little different. Steven Tyler wasn't loopy on pain pills this time. According to Joe's book and some interviews he's done, he was frustrated by this habit that Steven Tyler had of coming up behind him and other guys in the band and throwing his arm around his shoulder so they could both sing into a mic at the same time or whatever. It's a fairly typical frontman move, but whatever the case, Joe Perry hated it because it would often surprise him and cause him to momentarily lose his balance. You know, he likes to come up and... and uh, uh and bump into you on stage sometimes part of the show like i mean when you kind of you know like singing into the same microphone and throw his arm around you or, or, or whatever you know you know i've asked him politely you know knock do off. that because you're gonna <laughs> knock you know i lose my balance you know because i'm kind of focusing you know and yeah i don't have the luxury of being able to put my guitar down and you know just kind of know where i'm at and keep my balance i'm looking down at the fretboard and it throws me off and you know he he gets into it and sometimes uh gets a little carried away now in this show in toronto despite being asked not to many times steven tyler sneaks up on joe throws his arm around him and momentarily joe loses his balance and it surprises him and in frustration and in retaliation joe hip checks steven to get him back so at that that particular show um he was like uh, i was at the end of the stage my toes were basically touching the end the edge and right below me i can't see anything because it's black the spotlights are in my eyes and i'm playing he comes up from behind and kind of kind of nudges me and i almost fell into the audience uh -huh. and i was pissed because he had you know he had done, done it again, and I was, and I asked him, you know, don't do this, you know, and uh, um, so 
when I was walking back, he was on the side of the stage, and as I walked back, I gave him a hip check. And I really didn't didn't plan on him going into the audience. I just wanted him to feel that 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 hit from behind yeah. that he had just given me. Steven was not ready for that hip check at all, and that caused him to actually lose his balance and fall into the crowd. Keep your eye on Joe Perry in this next clip. So you can kind of see there, Joe's helping him back on stage, but he mentions this in his book too, and you can see it here. Steven actually tries to yank him downwards. <laughs> Now, the security guys and the fans caught Steven, so he wasn't hurt at all. He got back on. He was able to resume the song and the show. Everything was fine. But what you're seeing right there is a genuinely tense moment between these guys. And uh, I guess to his credit, Joe would go on to totally admit to doing this on purpose because he was irritated by uh, what Steven did to him. So that's, again, just an oddly tense moment uh, on stage, but I think it's something that happens probably more often that fans realize. That's going to bring us to the end of the story. The last thing I have is a short little video from bassist Tom Hamilton with a weirdly accurate prediction he made in April 2009. Take a look at this video. We're going to start, I think, in the beginning of June which is actually pretty soon. It's not that long from now. And uh, let's say we'll probably go through, I think September or October, something like that. But I have a feeling once we get halfway through this thing, the end is just gonna get pushed back, which would be great. Once we get halfway through this thing, the end is going to keep getting pushed back. In hindsight, he was sort of right, just, not in the way he thought. <laughs> All right, so that's going to do it for me today. That was Aerosmith's disastrous 2009 tour, a tour that started off very much on the wrong foot and ended with the band coming this close to splitting. I find stuff like this really interesting. So if you're aware of other classic rock tours that also went bad, please, Tell me what you got. Post in the comments below some tours that went off the rails. I am aware, of course, of Van Halen's infamous balance slash ambulance tour of 1995. I hope to get a chance to talk about that someday, but I, I really do think it's fun to go back and look at full tours that just went wrong. So if you have some great suggestions, please post them. I will absolutely be reading the comments on this video to see if I can get some good ideas. If you can point me in the right direction, I'll track down what I can find and, and put together something similar to that. But, but otherwise, I think I covered everything I could here as far as the 2009 Guitar Hero Aerosmith Presents Aerosmith Tour. So with that, I'll just say that most of the information that I presented in this video came from either Joe Perry's autobiography, Rocks, My Life in and Out of Aerosmith, which was released in 2015, or Joe Perry's Twitter feed from 2009, which uh, I gotta say, besides all this uh, tour stuff that I've posted, uh, reading through those was really a trip, because it was back when he actually bothered to tweet instead of just having a 
you know, a, an assistant do it or whatever. I learned a lot by looking through all those old tweets, but unfortunately in the process, learned some stuff I really didn't want to know. But what can you do? Uh, our next episode that we'll have is going to be a look back at the life and career of Eddie Money. Um, Eddie Money sadly passed away last year, so I think it will. it's a good time to dive into the music uh, and career that that guy had because it is truly incredible. There's a lot of great stuff we'll listen to and talk about in that. The intro song for this show is I Can Play That Rock and Roll with Joe Walsh, which is, of course, appropriate as that is the song that the show is named for. Great title. I'd like to give a thank you to Cher Ross and Britt Lightning from the band Vixen for the cameo they recorded that we played at the start of the show. It's always a little bit of fun, and uh, I have a big soft spot for Vixen, so it was very cool to get both of them to do that. And then briefly, I'd like to say thank you to Matt and Mike of the Better in 3D podcast who recently had me on. We had a fantastic conversation about the James Bond film series, which is, of course, if you've ever seen my videos on my old YouTube channel, I'm a huge fan of that series and have lots of thoughts and takes. And we got to go through a whole bunch of that stuff. It's such a, it's a very long podcast, but it was a really fun thing to do, and it was a really great thing to be a part of. And I got to say, for... I've only been in podcasting for a couple of months, but I've already been a guest on two shows, so I'm a little bit proud of that. But in any case, thank you again to those guys. It really was a lot of fun. And then finally, I'd like to please invite you to find us on social media at Play That Podcast on Twitter. If you search at Play That Podcast on Facebook, our Facebook page, Play That Rock and Roll, will show up. And if you go on YouTube and just search Play That Rock and Roll, you'll either find our current page or you'll find our old page, which will redirect you to our current page. So please check us out there. And finally, if you're listening to us on iTunes, please, 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 please take a moment, go over to iTunes and rate and review us. Give us a five-star rating and a, and a nice review post some comments for us it means a great deal and it really helps us for visibility purposes on apple podcasts so if you enjoyed this show please do me a favor go over um give us a rating like i said much appreciated so uh with that what else is there to say uh guitar hero aerosmith play us out Joke band like Spinal Tap or Aerosmith.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.